Welcome to another edition of the Worldview feature here on WORTFM in Madison, Wisconsin. Today, we'll be talking about civil rights and religious tolerance and the rise of Hindutva, or Hindu nationalism, in India. And joining me is my friend and colleague, Amitabh Pal, who is the Communications Director at the Freedom from Religion Foundation here in Madison. And together, we'll be talking with social activist and human rights campaigner, Shabnam Hashmi, who is joining us from New Delhi. And I am going to turn it over to Amit right now to do a more thorough introduction of our guest. Welcome to both of you. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you. And and it's uh, such a privilege for us to have uh, Shabnam Hashmi on our show all the way from India. Uh, Shabnam is an Indian social activist and human rights campaigner. Uh, she started a social activism back in 1981. Since 1989, she has spent uh, most of her time combating uh, fundamentalist right-wing forces in India. Uh, after the Gujarat pogrom in 2002, when none other than uh, current Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi was in charge of the state, uh, Hashmi uh, Shabnam changed her focus to grassroots work. She has been involved with a number of organizations, which she'll uh, tell us about, most recently, ANHAD. I love the acronym. ACT NOW for harmony and democracy. And I looked this up, apparently in Sanskrit, it means uh, no limits, uh, which she administers. And she works in Kashmir, Bihar, and other troubled areas. Uh, she was among 91 women from India who figured in the list of a thousand women who have been nominated globally for the Nobel Peace Prize. She has uh, been the recipient of a number of awards, uh, such as uh, the Association for Communal Harmony in Asia Star Award, and the National Minority Rights Award by the National Minority Commission. FFRF co-president Dan Barker and I were uh, honored to meet her during our travels in India last year. And uh, Gil can attest to this ever since then. I've been tell, uh, telling Gil that we have to have her uh, on our show uh, to interview her. Sadly, we have her on our show to mark a tragic anniversary. And that's the killing of her brother, uh, activist and uh, theater personality Safdar Hashmi 35 years ago this month. So uh, welcome Shabnam and if you could please start off by telling us a bit more about your brother and why he was killed. Hi, thank you very much for inviting me on your show. Well, my brother Safdar Hashmi was a theater activist and he was part of the progressive movement in Delhi. Uh, he, after uh, emergency uh, he moved to street theater. Before that, he was doing other kind of uh, cultural activism and also doing theater. He started doing uh, theater in uh, 73, 1973 when he formed uh, the Jannate Manch, the street theater group uh, with whom he worked. So uh, Jannate Manch was performing on 1st January 1989 in a place called Jandapur, which is just outside Delhi. There was a big industrial strike and they were performing in support of the workers' workers' strike. And it is then that they were attacked by goons. Uh, and uh, he tried to save all the other members of the group by running to a, a trade union office there, which didn't have any walls. It, it had very low walls. So he just held on to the door while the others escaped. The goons reached and they, the idea was to probably kill him because all the attack was done on his head and he uh, 
died the next day in Delhi in a hospital. And what was the motive, Shabnam? Motive was because they were uh, bringing together the workers, the strike striking workers. They had certain demands and this group was performing in support of those demands. So they were getting united and they were coming together. And that strike was being strengthened by the presence of these cultural activists, which was not liked by the uh, the mill owners there. And there was also local election. So there was this uh, candidate, uh, independent candidate supported by the Congress at that time, who was taking a rally there and they wanted to go from the same place where the Vajanatimaj was performing. There was this altercation and... Uh, then what followed, everyone knows. I have to add that uh, uh, Dan Barker and I were also privileged to visit Studio Safdat, where we met uh, Molushri Hashmi and other activists who are still carrying on the good work of uh, of Safdat. So, uh, Shabnam, of course, you're a highly regarded activist in your own right. Could you please tell us about the sorts of activism that you have been engaged in, especially in the recent past? Well, I have been a social activist for 40 years now, although it started uh, by chance because in 81, as you have already mentioned, I uh, happened to get into a basti and started teaching women there and never came out for eight years. I spent my first years of my activism teaching Muslim girls and women who had never been to school. But after Safdar's death, uh, I, uh, for 15 years, I was running uh, Savdar Hashmi Memorial Trust, which worked mainly on questions of freedom of expression, of fighting the right-wing forces, working for communal Hami, bringing communities together, etc. And uh, after 2002, when uh, in Gujarat the program happened, uh, till then I was still working with Samat, the Savdar Hashmi Memorial Trust. So then I went to Gujarat and I ended up spending almost the whole year there initially documenting with my husband and, and our son was with us and later on documenting the gang rape survivors and you know helping relief and other work what was required uh, in those times but then I uh, realized that I couldn't just sit in the cities and work with intellectuals and artists which was very important work but I wanted to do something else so I moved on and formed Anhad in 2003 uh, the organization that I run for the last 20 years now. We work on questions of uh, secularism, democracy, freedom of expression, gender rights, also mental health. And we um, work at many levels from, you know, working at the policy level to working in villages, doing vocational trainings and giving education and opening uh, computer centers in area where they are not available at all, opening libraries in small villages. So we have been working at several levels uh, for the last 20 years. And I, let me jump in, in with the next question here, Amit. Um, uh, the, the assassination of your brother that we opened the program talking about does give you a, a kind of tragic and unique vantage point on political repression in India across the decades then up through now. Uh, and I know that when I was in Gujarat, in, I was in Ahmedabad five years ago now in 2019 and was really um, uh, overwhelmed. I mean, obviously, over, I had lived there uh, for a year, 1986, 
and I expected there would be changes, but uh, I, I was really overwhelmed by the, the changes both physically and, I guess, politically in the atmosphere there even five years ago. I mean, I stayed in, a, in an Airbnb that was rented to us uh, by a Muslim couple uh, sort of on the edges of downtown Ahmedabad, uh, and she was telling me that she and her husband uh, aren't able to live in certain parts of, of Ahmedabad, that w- when they went to, to find an apartment or a place to buy, um, th- that it was, uh, that the, essentially there were regulations in place or landlords uh, or landowners would not sell them um, certain places in certain in, in parts of Ahmedabad because of their religion, because of being Muslim. So if you could talk a little bit about comparing what uh, the change in civil liberties for the worse, I guess, uh, in the country, not just in Ahmedabad, from then at the time that your brother was killed and now, what have those changes See, I would been? say that that killing of Safda at that time, of course, was extremely traumatic, and uh, uh, it was a question of, uh, you know, it was attacking freedom of expression of a major cultural activist in India. Uh, but still, I would say that it was uh, probably a stray incident. We did not see so many attacks on artists and intellectuals or individuals from one community as one is witnessing now, especially. 2002 onwards in Gujarat and uh, whatever was happening in Gujarat is now after Modi was declared the Prime Minister and he became the Prime Minister. It has been exported to the whole of the country. What was happening in Gujarat then uh, about what you are talking about is happening across India now, uh, especially in North India. South is still slightly better, but North India, everywhere it is happening. The political repression has increased many folds. There are uh, leading activists, academics, journalists who are behind bars. There are uh, hundreds of, uh, especially the right to information activists and rationalists who have been killed uh, during the last uh, 10 years. Uh, And anybody who questions the present government is labeled as an anti-national. And there is a whole campaign to malign whether you are an activist or you are an academician, an intellectual or a journalist, anybody who is raising questions, who are questioning what is happening in the country is uh, very systematically maligned by the whole machinery which the Hindu right-wing runs in this country on social media and otherwise, and they are threatened. And as a result, a large number of people are also becoming very quiet because not everyone is ready to be, you know, to get killed for... uh, fighting for democracy and for the constitution of this country, safeguarding the constitution of this country. So things are uh, very, very different from what they were earlier. It looks as if we are living uh, in a in a semi-fascist state. I mean, I won't say that it has become totally fascist because there are still certain, uh, you know, liberties which are available, but it's a semi-fascist state where Everything is controlled. All democratic institutions have been demolished over the last 10 years. Media is totally in control of the government. And even if we look at the parliament, I mean, the recent things, you must have seen how all the opposition has been uh, literally thrown out of the parliament. Um, 
and judiciary is also undermined to a great extent. Yeah. While preparing for this uh, interview, Shabnam, I, I came across uh, you speaking out against uh, another brother of yours, Sohail Hashmi, being raided um, a few months ago. Uh, could you uh, tell us a bit more about that as to why that happened? Actually, no one knows because he was raided as part of the raids on News Click, which is a very important news portal, which has been uh, doing uh, very good coverage and exposing this government. So there was a case filed on News Click under uh, UABA. Um, uh, and uh, Suhail has never worked with News Click. He has never uh, taken any money from them for any, uh, you know, interview or anything. Yet he was raided. And I think the reason uh, for raiding Suhail or, and many others, like uh, there's, uh, there are many other people who were raided uh, who, are, who are not connected with NewsClick. Every person who has worked with NewsClick was raided, but a lot of people who are not connected with NewsClick were raided. But these are people who are very uh, vocal. Suhail is a very sought-after heritage worker in Delhi. Uh, and not only Delhi, in other parts of the country also. So the kind of uh, composite and uh, plural history that he teaches during his talks, that is obviously not liked by uh, those people who, you know, by the regime. So they are targeting people one by one. And when you touch, you know, it also conveys a signal. When you touch somebody like Suhail Hashmi, uh, who is a very well-known uh, a person in Delhi, in India, then it also gives out a signal to other people to, you know, to keep quiet and do not question what is happening in the country. So it is both intimidating people like Suhail, who would, of course, not be intimidated by these kind of days, but intimidating a lot of other people. We are conducting this interview um, on uh, Friday, uh, January 19th. Uh, it, when it's uh, when it goes on the air, it will be uh, another week from now. Uh, but there is an event that we would like to get your perspective on that's coming up in this coming week on Monday. Um, that uh, the Indian government is going to be engaging in a lavish inauguration ceremony for a temple built on the site of a demolished mosque in Ayodhya, an event that marks a turning point in the history of of independent India. Uh, if you could share your thoughts about, uh, we don't know exactly what will happen, except we know what the plans are um, for this this big, lavish inauguration. What are your thoughts about that? Well, it's I find it extremely disgusting, frankly, if you ask. Because what is happening in India right now, if you go out on the roads, you find these saffron flags all over. I was two days ago, I was at Khan Market and it was, it looked, you know, I was reminded of 1930s of Germany when you had the uh, swastik, uh, I mean, it, it was not swastik, whatever that sign was called, uh, the Nazi flags you could see all over uh, Germany and they were, you know, when you look at them, you find that, you know, this is a space which has been totally captured by the right wing. So that is happening across India on every, uh, when when we are going on the road now, I mean, I've just come half an hour ago. So on the, uh, on these crossroads where people are standing and selling those big flags, 
with the symbol there but more than that the way the government is being all the government machinery is being utilized for the inauguration of a temple even if we even if we say that you know supreme court gave a verdict and they were supposed to build the temple even if we agree with that although i i in fact anad is the only organization which had done a public meeting to say that we do not agree with this uh, judgment although we can't change it but we do not agree with the judgment but even if we go by the judgment it is not government's role to do it they had formed a trust it is the trust duty to inaugurate the temple i mean what is the prime minister doing inaugurating the temple or being there or now uh, every day you are seeing that you know mr modi is fasting for 11 days and he's sleeping on the uh, on the floor and so on and so forth this has become a big tamasha in uh, in india and the controlled media channels are only showing that and nothing else but on the other hand there are a large number of uh, people from within the uh, religious hindu fold who have questioned this because the temple is not ready and you are not i mean i am not a religious person but i do, but what i have heard the shankaracharyas talking that if the temple is not ready then you cannot do the ceremony which is being planned for the 22nd he said it is according to the religion it is not allowed but despite that they are it is it has turned into it is not a religious function at all it is a political the program and uh, there are photographs already on social media where on the roads modi's uh, cutouts are much bigger than lord rama's cutouts on the roads so it is projecting modi again as the savior of the hindus and in that process uh, they are showing as if you know he is bigger than the lord ram himself because there was uh, a tweet which was deleted later where modi is going towards the temple holding uh, the hand of ram who is much smaller than him so there are all kinds of things this is being done because the elections are around the corner and there is a need to consolidate the hindu vote and uh, this is what they are doing i mean 24/7 they are talking only about the ram temple and nothing else so i, I don't find i mean i find it a highly uh, political uh, it's a political game as far as uh, religion is concerned i mean religious religion is a personal matter and if you believe in ram or krishna or or any other god or if you believe in allah or you know or christ it is your personal matter and should remain <coughs> within the confines of your, of your home it shouldn't become uh, a gala event like it has been and crores of rupees is being spent on that you know in a country where people are dying of hunger you will spend crores of rupees on uh, not only on building the temple but also on this event itself there's a huge amount of money which is going into this event for listeners who are not familiar with the history of this temple and the mosque that was there that temple is being built in place of or on top of in some sense there's a a long history of this that, that goes back i mean even further back than the 90s if i'm correct the pogrom in, in gujarat that was sparked because of events that that started in ayodhya i correct me if i'm wrong and i would just i don't want to take over here amit because i really want you to speak a little bit more but i i got this article recently by vivek kumar 
who I'm not familiar with. Talking about the facts of this, I mean, the, the, the temples, there are so many temples in Ayodhya, and there always there have been for so long. And many of them were built, according to this article, they were built when Hindustan was not India yet and was actually ruled by the Mughals, by Muslims. And that government at that time, the, the people who were sort of running things in Hindustan, were, were not unhappy to have temples built. And there was some kind of communal peace, or at least m much more understanding between Hindus and Muslims at that time. Correct me if I'm wrong. I just wanted to point that out to listeners who may not know the context. Certainly, uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, please, Shamnam. No, I'm saying that's very correct. And a lot of Mughal emperors gave not only land for the temples, they gave money for the temples to be built because they did not differentiate between, uh, you know, the different uh, citizens belonging to different religions. But uh, the history of this temple starts in 1949, when in December, on the night of 22nd and 23rd December, these idols of uh, Ram were kept inside the Babri Mosque. And there is evidence available for that. So it started back then, and then it was closed for a very uh, for decades till uh, the doors were opened again. So it's a long history, but now all that is gone. Babri Masjid was demolished in 1992, and uh, after the Adwani Rathyatra, now we are witnessing what we are witnessing. And and Shabnam, you uh, mentioned a bit the elections, which are coming up in the summer. Of course, Modi is busy inaugurating the temple. The opposition leader Rahul Gandhi is conducting rally or a journey from East to West India currently. Uh, could you please uh, give us uh, your analysis and predictions of what will happen in the elections in a few months? Rahul Gandhi is conducting what is called Bharat Judo Nyay Yatra. Uh, Rahul Gandhi uh, last year walked from South India to Kashmir and now he is doing, this is not walking all the way, but this is... Uh, in between hopping onto the vehicles and traveling. But yes, from northeast to west. Well, it's very difficult to predict what will happen in the elections. On one hand, uh, you know, there is this alliance of uh, most opposition parties because recently, just a few days ago, Mayavati, who is uh, a very important Dalit face, she said that she's not going to be part of the alliance. So, um, it is very difficult to say what will happen. Also, there are questions around whether the elections would be rigged or whether they will be fair because uh, elections, as you know, in India are you know, conducted by EVMs and there is enough... Uh, Those are electronic voting machines. Electronic voting machines and there is enough evidence and history of them being rigged earlier also. So one doesn't know, but if... Uh, if there is one-to-one -one fight, if all the opposition parties fight together and they, you know, if they are able to uh, have a good seat adjustment and there is only one opposition alliance uh, candidate against one uh, BJP candidate, then things can change also. But it's too early to say that. And how are organizations like yours, uh, Shabnam, in this new reality that is India, uh, how are they coping and how are you being able to function? Well, it's very difficult. It's not, I, I can talk about my organization, but what has happened to my organization has happened to thousands of others. 
as soon as this government came, they did all kinds of inquiries on us and they cancelled the FCRA, which is the license to get, you know, grants from uh, organizations outside India. So, and also, you know, it's not only that one cannot function without grants coming from outside, but the thing is that when the government targets you and people know that you are being targeted or you are not being liked by this government, then people even within the country stop funding your programs. So, Anhad's basic, uh, I would say, strength has been uh, working at very large scales and mobilizing large number of people uh, that we have done for the first 12 years of our existence. You know, we would we have done campaigns where we have reached out to hundred thousands of people in one campaign. Uh, and if you want, I can later talk about it. But our funds have been totally strangulated, totally strangulated. Last nine years, we are surviving only on personal donations. And personal donations after COVID have become, again, much less than what they were. So financially, to do anything big uh, has become very difficult. But we continue to work, we continue to speak out, and we continue to do a lot of things in collaboration with a lot of organizations. That is the way out which we have found. I mean, I'll just tell you... Uh, one campaign that we did into after once when the lynchings were happening across India, when the Muslim men were being surrounded, lynched on roads, and there was this hate talks across India. So I was thinking, you know, how how can we change this? And we start talk talking about peace and how many and not only what is happening in the country. So we thought that you know, as women, we will travel across India, and I reached out to first. National Federation of Indian Women, which is a big network across India. And once they agreed to the idea, we reached out to over, I think, in in that campaign, it was called Bate Amanki, which is translated into peace talks. And we were able to get over 300 organizations on board. And we traveled across India. We formed five groups of 20 women each, starting from Kerala, from Tamil Nadu, from Kashmir, from Assam and from Delhi traveled for a month, we ended up doing 500 programs, big programs, with thousands of people attending those programs. They included rallies, public meetings, press conferences, cultural programs. So that is how Anhad now functions. We think of ideas, we bring people together, large number of people together, we pool in resources and then we uh, do whatever you know we want to do. But uh, it is not easy and a large number because it's over 30,000 organizations who have uh, lost their FCRAs. And uh, many are facing uh, CBI inquiries, ED inquiries, all kinds of inquiries and attacks and FIR. Some people have been arrested. So uh, for civil rights activists, for human rights activists, things are very, very difficult in India right now. Well, that's perhaps a good uh, segue. Unfortunately, we're running out of time here. We've just got about a minute and a half left in the program. And the, the last question we had, uh, we're sitting here in the United States. If you're being barred from uh, receiving support from outside the country, is there anything that we can do here besides as what we're trying to do now, uh, publicizing and informing people here about what's going on? What can be done here in the U.S. to uh, have any impact in, in India? See, a very important thing which can be done is to stop funding the hate organizations. The hate organizations, the RSS and its 
large number of other organizations get a lot of fund which comes through us and through comes through legal means also so there is a need to look at what their money is being used for they are using the money to spread hatred and uh, you know so i think if if even if that much can be done then that would be very important oh thank you for that and thank you so much for talking with us over this past half hour here on worldview that's we've been speaking with shabnam hashmi social activist and human rights campaigner in india and in, uh, speaking to us from new delhi we hope that we can speak to you again in the future when uh, perhaps we can be talking about some more hopeful things things moving in a better direction than they are now and and thank you very much amit pal communications it's a pleasure communications director from the freedom from religion foundation here in madison